Welcome to all of my Substack readers and, and listeners, and I'm really pleased to be able to introduce a fabulous person who this is the first time that Jessica and I have actually spoken, but Jessica has been a, a very frequent contributor to the comment section of, of my Substack. Jessica has a Substack of her own, which is called Unpacking Truth, yes? And we'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for today. So Jessica, Jessica Bishop Funk, which is a fabulous name, by the way. What a great name. Jessica is a dentist. And so reading her comments and, and just, you know, going back and forth with her in the comment section, I thought that this would be a really great opportunity for me to talk to a dentist who, who has woken up and to find out what that process was like. I have a lot of questions about dental school and your experience in practice. So when did you decide, Jess? Oh, actually, sorry, you know, I, I have a question to lead in with. You have in your email signature, Psalm 3414. Now, I did not grow up in a household where where Bible reading was, was a common practice, and so I had to look it up. But tell me what 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 does psalm 34 verse 14 say and what does that mean to you seek peace and pursue it and to me peace is knowing truth and to yeah. know truth you must pursue it okay and to and then i guess to expand on that would be then to share that truth yes when did you add that verse to your email signature in the last about year and a half. <laughs> okay. All right, 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 right. So this is very much a part of your waking up. Uh, yeah. So when, at what point in life did you decide that you wanted to become a dentist? I probably have a, a pretty unique story. I grew up with a father who is a, a now retired dentist. And this is back before cell phones and video games. And on the weekends, in order to not get bored, I would go to work with him because he worked on Saturdays. Not That's not the trend nowadays. And I probably started working with him when I was like three or five years old. I would go in with him. I mean, I remember we didn't wear gloves. We didn't wear masks. I remember taking teeth out with blood on my fingers. Ooh. I remember mixing the mercury fillings with the little mercury pellets, you know, rolling. <laughs> and then inhaling the that as a, oh, as yeah. a small child. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yep. And then when I became a teenager, um, I knew I wanted to pursue something and health, whether it was going to be a physician or a dentist. Um, and my dad's staff would would time their pregnancies around when I would be out of school for the summer. So I had many a summer where I was covering for all three months because somebody was out on maternity leave. Yeah. And I really felt a passion for dentistry, I would say middle school to high school. And so then I pursued it. Okay. And what, what was, what was dental school like? What, what do you remember of how you were taught? You know, I'm particularly interested for reasons that, that won't be mysterious to you at all on what, what was the, what was the, the teaching environment like? Were students just presented with, you know, the facts on fluoride, the facts on amalgam, or was debate permitted? What, what was it like being, being a, a dentistry student? I, uh, I do not recall there being open discussions or debates on topics re revolving around fluoride or mercury or any, any topic like that. Yep. Um, in fact, as far as I can recall in dental school, I don't even remember there being a controversy around fluoride. The only reason I had any inkling that there might be a controversy is I grew up in a town 
in Pennsylvania uh, where the, we did not have fluoridated water. And my dad told me that it was because the town council thought it was a communist plot. So, <laughs> okay. And he, <laughs> I gather your dad did not think it was a communist plot. <laughs> no, not, not then, but that'll be, that will get to that. And, and okay. so, so if I had any idea that there was a controversy, the controversy was on the side of lunatics thinking yep. that. And yep. um, dental school was very, uh, I want to say cookie cutter. Um, and for good reason, right? You have four years to cram all this knowledge or information in. And so it was really like, learn this, spit it out, and then get to clinic and do what you're told to do. And my experience there would be, was interesting in that I had already worked in the private world for a long time. I'd seen a lot. And to know that what we were taught in dental school is often not how we do it in real world. It's just not applicable in the real world. That's so interesting. So you went in there with experience of, of what dentistry was actually like yeah. and you'd learned it from your father. And so for, from a very, uh, well, from quite a young age then, you were, you were presented with this uh, mismatch between your lived experience, what, what you knew to, to be the truth, and then what they were teaching you. Yeah. Was that the first time that you'd had that experience or had you experienced that earlier in, 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 you know, in grade school or in high school where you, where teachers were saying one thing and you were thinking, no, I know that's not right. I, I can't recall until 2012, I guess obviously some time in dental school, I can't recall a situation where I felt like what I was being taught was the opposite of you know, what I knew to be true on a top on a specific topic. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. So this was, this was quite, uh, how did you handle that? Like, did you, did you raise your hand and say, that's not right? Or what did you do? <laughs> sometimes I, yeah, sometimes I had already, yeah, I, I was one to swim upstream. I was not afraid to, you know, to yeah. do things. And I realized that for, for a lot of my classmates who didn't have the same experiences I had had, there was a reason why they had to learn certain things in, in a sequence that may be too laborious in private practice. So there were times I didn't question, but there were certainly uh, clinical settings where with a faculty on a solo and a one-on-one -on -one interaction where I would say, this just isn't going to work when we get out into the real world, you know, for practical and what, application. And what was the response to that? Um, I, I think they recognized, and it was never there was never too much negative pushback um and to their defense you know who we're taught by are not people who practice in the real world so you know there's you know i would handle the topic delicately just to say you know i know my dad does it this way and yeah. and it saves time it helps with the patient's comfort you know things things of that nature right right and what what do you think about that the the, the fact that dentistry students are taught by non-practicing i don't know what you call them non-practicing faculty i guess that's right so when i graduated from dental school i went back for about eight years and volunteered my time on fridays to teach students in clinics so that i could yeah. help give them some real world application of what they were yeah. learning yeah um yeah. and then i started having children and then volunteering my time became mothering 
Yeah, absolutely. You, you felt you didn't have a lot of spare time. Correct, yes. <laughs> oh, what a yes. surprise to anyone who's ever, ever had children. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so you got through dental school relatively unscathed <laughs> in terms of you know you, you weren't you weren't constantly in trouble for <laughs> for disputing what you were being taught and um and then you went to private practice and and so at, at what point at what point did you like I, i'm assuming that when you first went into private practice you were doing fluoride treatments and you know, were, were you were you putting in um amalgam fillings yeah, right? yeah. in fact yeah. yeah i um can you turn the Never sat down. Um, I thought I thought mercury fillings were the best ever. I preferred them over composite. Yep. And um, it wasn't until probably 10, 12 years ago when I really felt like I had a system where the composite being placed, um, I felt like was doing a, a sufficient job. Mm. And mm. I and I tell patients even to this day I don't place silver fillings anymore. Um, but if a patient asks me which one's better, I struggle. I really struggle with arguing in favor of composite. Um, composite That's is so a plastic. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's a plastic. Yeah. So you have concerns so, about the components of it and their biological and, effects. Yeah. And the longevity. Um, yeah. You you will never be able to place a composite that will outlast an amalgam. I'm not arguing in favor of amalgam. Yeah. I'm just saying it is by far an inferior product, in my opinion as far as its longevity. Bacteria loves a plastic surface. Um, mm. The decay that you find under a, a, a recurrent cavity under a, a composite restoration is, for lack of um, how to describe to a non-dentist, um, is extremely different than a cavity you find under a silver filling. Uh, so the, term, the term we would use in our field would be bombed out, um, mm. where the decay is just extremely aggressive Mm. And some of that is mitigated by the, you know, the mercury and the mercury fillings. I, you know, the mercury probably has, has an antibacterial. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, I, but I place composites. That that is all I will yeah. do for a filling, um, yes. because I don't, I don't. We don't have a better material. We don't have. Well, yes, we do. We have gold. Not, but that's yeah. extremely expensive. Uh huh. Not indeed indeed so so at what at what point uh, what what was the first common dental practice that you began questioning and and what prompted you to question it um gosh i would probably say i, I would probably say it would have to be fluoride what fluoride mm. or wisdom teeth Mm -hmm. uh, I was glad you sent that this morning because I did want to talk about that. Yes, um, wisdom teeth. All right, so yeah. it was it was one of the two. Let's um, yeah. oh look, let's let's deal with wisdom teeth first because the the fluoride, the fluoride question is uh, well, yes, I'm sure you have a lot to say on that. So so let's, let's jump into the wisdom teeth. Yeah. So so the question that was sent to uh, to me by email actually. Um, is was was around like do wisdom teeth have to be routinely removed no mm. absolutely not um yep. and when we you know when i was trained it was like if they exist they come out and yeah. and then i would say in the last probably 10 12 years uh, i've had a very different opinion on that yep 
and and I tell patients the longer you practice the longer you do something the more you have real world experience that teaches you that what you were taught doesn't always roll out you know in what the patient experiences mm -hmm. and so I have a lot of older patients who have I'm going to call them haphazardly positioned wisdom teeth that if they were 18 to 21 would have been you know removed but back when they were that age perhaps they didn't have the means uh, maybe oral surgeons weren't readily available. I, I don't know the circumstances that they didn't have them removed, but they've been able to proper be able to keep them clean and not have infection or okay. inflammation or pain okay. from them. And so even if they're not perfectly positioned or even in occlusion, which means they can bite, um, they're functioning fine for the patient. Yes, gotcha. What what was it that caused you to question this? This just it's like a reflex removal of of the wisdom teeth. Do you, these do you patients, right? These patients, okay. Yeah. So you that was the answer to the question. Yeah. yeah, you were seeing people in yeah. the real world who had these wisdom teeth, and they were kind of like you know a bit oddly positioned, and yet these people were doing fine. That's fine. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then, how, how long ago was that, by the way? That you began questioning. I would say ten patients. to twelve. Ten to twelve years. It's okay. been a while. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And, and I mm. tell my parents, you know, people come in because I feel like we've trained the population. I don't know how it is in Australia, but I feel like we've trained the population. Like when you're 15, 16, start asking about your wisdom teeth, and you know, the parents are like, "Well, should they have them out before they go to college?" Yeah. That you know, yeah. and all this worry. And I just say, "Hey, let's just see what happens." You know, it let's is. Just it is it's very common practice. I wouldn't say it's quite universal here, but it's very common practice for people to have uh, some or all of their of their wisdom teeth removed. And the argument that's always made is that the is that if the wisdom teeth are left in, the remaining teeth will become overcrowded. And no, and, yeah, <laughs> all right. Uh, so uh -uh. When, when you, I mean, you were very adamant in saying no. Please explain. <laughs> Well, I will, I, to, to the credit of the education that I received in dental school, we were taught that that is, there's just as much crowding that occurs in patients that do not have wisdom teeth as those that do. So that argument that you need to take them out because it's going to crowd, cause crowding is unfounded. Um, and what, what actually, what happens? I mean, what happens to the person's overall health when, or their, their, their jaw development, their jaw function? What happens when you take those wisdom teeth out? Well, as I've started to study the airway, that's where I've, I have become more concerned about this um, sort of universal removal of wisdom teeth is that you then create an arch that becomes smaller because once those teeth are removed, as the bone heals, things are going to shrink. And that's your arch. That's your form. That's your framework for your tongue. And now yeah. your tongue has less room. And so you still have the same size tongue, but a smaller house for it to reside in. And where does it go? It can only go posteriorly. Mm -hmm. I want to spend quite a bit of time talking about airway issues. So let's, airway. let's bookmark that and, and, and come back to it. Um, and so you the, the two that where you weren't quite sure which of these ones you started to question first, the other one was fluoride. So when did you begin to have different thoughts about fluoride from what you were taught? Well, I'm going to have to say fluoride is, is likely more recent. I, mm -hmm. I don't have, I can't pinpoint a time. I do know, and this is just, you know, my own personal experience. Whenever my staff cleans my teeth, they're like, do you want fluoride treatment? I've always refused, not for mm -hmm. any particular reason. Um, I haven't had a cavity and I can't tell you how long, um, but just did. And then I, I think it was waking up 
in 2020 that helped me to really look at that topic a bit more critically. Yeah. And, okay. Um, well, that you, you segue to a topic that, that I wanted to ask about. So let's make this explicit. 2020, when did you first begin wondering whether the COVID narrative was legit <laughs> or not? I, I had a very unique, I think, awakening. Um, I fell for Fauci's lines, hook, line, and sinker. Mm -hmm. Held on his every word, um, closed my practice for two months. Oh, and so I'm you, a, I'm you were ad... really scared. You were, you were very I, I wasn't. This. Well, my husband and I were never scared. I was never okay. scared. I just, you know, did what I was told. I was being okay. obedient. Yep. And um, I bought his mask lies and even though I knew cloth masks were complete garbage. Yeah, yeah. Let's let, let's get this on the record. Why do dentists wear masks when they're treating a patient? <laughs> so I don't spit in your mouth when I'm working on you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Okay. So so dentists dentists wear masks to protect the patient against their own secretions. I presume that there's some like splash protection to, <laughs> to and protect us from you, right? From yeah, your, from you the know, patient's bodily fluids, like blood spurting out of right. the tooth. I guess it's the other way around. Too, yes. Yeah. Okay. So so in other words, dentists wear masks for protection against, let's just say, gross, as in well, they are gross, but but gross as in large size particles blood right. and spit and, and stuff right. so when when you were training as as a as a dentist um and you mentioned that when when you were working working in your your father's dental practice you didn't wear masks at all so mm -hmm. but i presume you this were you taught to wear masks when you oh, yes, were a dentist? Yes. and what what were you told was the function of the mask um was it this sort of splash protection spit protection correct yep correct okay never forgot yeah and and did any of your um teachers, lecturers, faculty, whatever, did they ever talk about masks with respect to viral um, illnesses or viral transmission? No. Okay. So in other words, every dentist should have known, did know, we can assume they knew that masks do not prevent the transmission of, of, of viral respiratory diseases. Correct. And I knew that. I knew that. Okay. Um, so that's the... So, Okay, so so you knew that, but you said that you kind of bought the Fauci line on masks. What what was happening when when you look back on what was going on in your own mind? What what do you what what do you see? I was just unfortunately trusting an authoritarian figure. Okay. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. Essentially, because I figured he must know more than I know on this topic and kind of do as you're told. Ah, that's really interesting. So you're you're a trained and experienced health professional, but in this particular matter, you you assumed that the yeah. knowledge that you had was was incomplete or was right. inferior because there was you know a little tiny man um who, you know on, on, who was on the TV an awful yes. lot yeah, and he was appearing you know, at the president's shoulder at all those press conferences. We saw them here in Australia too, sadly. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. All right, so at some, so so this this is early, early months of the um, COVID-19 episode. I don't call it a pandemic. <laughs> I usually call it a scamdemic actually, but anyway. Yeah, uh, totally so this is the first couple of months you're, you're going along with all of this. What happened next? 
So then, um, you know, we're, we're going to say we're about 10 months in around October timeframe when there was discussion of a vaccine coming out. Yep. And um, I was pretty excited. I had, I had nothing against vaccines. I had, my kids had had all of them. I knew there was some controversy around them, but never had delved into it. And uh, our governor in North Carolina was offering an executive order for dentists to be able to be part of the rollout. Mm -hmm. And I was very intent to be part of the solution. So I was going to investigate what it would take for me to be trained to do so. And something that I hold very near and dear as far as what I provide for my patients is something called informed consent, mm -hmm. which would be, you know, what are the pros and cons of any given procedure and allow the patient to make the decision. Uh -huh. And obviously we kept hearing safe and effective, safe and effective from the mouth mouthpieces and grace of God. I don't, I don't know, but I, I mean, I remember the exact turning point. My mother um, sent me a video of Dr. Simone gold yep. and I don't remember the exact one, but it was talking about the history of coronavirus vaccines. And it was, I call it, it's like finding out Santa Claus isn't real when you're a child. It's that sucker punch in your gut. Like, holy cow. I've been lied to. And this, okay, this interests me greatly because your mother is a dentist's wife. Okay. No, so she, that's she, right. She, so yeah. she's been kind of steeped in this um professional milieu of well there are experts and 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 they say things and we believe them and blah 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 um do you do you know how she came across like like had she had she been questioning the narrative at all how did she come across that simone gold video i i don't well she's part of um an email list serve that goes out with a, a woman who directs these emails and she probably has six, 800 subscribe and not, not like Substack, but she has people yeah. that follow her gotcha. and, she, yeah. and she's about my mother's age and she, it's a lot of conservative content. Um, okay. and, and so the topic when this was becoming available was shared and, you know, a little background, my parents have always been a, very much questioning government. So they had, you know, they had their scare as an older couple worried about COVID, but then they kind of came to their senses a bit, earlier than I did. And she shared that with me. And then that was just what, I, I don't know, the straw that broke the camel's back. I, I, yeah. I don't know how to describe it, but it was a 180, 180 after one. Yeah, actually, I, I know you just said you don't know how to describe it. Could you, could you describe it as best you can? Like what, what happened? What, what was your thinking process? How did you feel when you watched that video? And you learned about this um, history of coronavirus vaccines. And, and look, most of my audience is going to know this, but let, let's just briefly summarise this. So, so there, there has never been a uh, successful vaccine developed for Correct. coronavirus in humans, um, in animals. And that's largely because coronaviruses mutate so quickly. It's also because of this problem of, of, of um, antibody-dependent enhancement that had popped up with previous coronavirus vaccines. So uh, at, as, as a result, the, the fact that um, multiple separate companies all came up with a successful vaccine against coronavirus using using a couple of different you know we had the we had the astrazeneca or and and johnson and johnson or, or, or Janssen version which was the um 
uh, the viral infected one. Uh, we had Pfizer and Moderna, and then particularly in developing countries uh, uh, like like India and, and I don't I suppose you don't really call China a developing country anymore, do you? But but they so in not Western countries anyway. They also developed coronavirus vaccines that were more traditional type vaccines, and all of them worked and were safe and effective. And you go, really? <laughs> How did that happen? So yes, that, that's the background to to um, this revelation that you had. So what happened to you? I just went all in. I mean, I mean, I I tend to if I find something that interests me, become and I become extremely passionate on it. Okay. And I so I you don't know when I saw that hole, as they say. Oh yeah, it was, and it, it is, and and it's it's I'm, you know this is cliche, but it's like an onion. It just has layers, and every layer there's another layer, and it takes you from. I mean, we could go anywhere. We could go just about anywhere as far as just seeing the corruption and the lies behind what happened for COVID from anywhere from, I mean, if your viewers know where I'm located, I'm at the heart of where this started. Mm. Say more about North, that. Oh, North, yes. University yes. of South Carolina, Ralph Barrett no, doing, doing his... North Carolina, University of North I'm sorry. Carolina. Okay. Yeah, yes, North yes, yes, Carolina. yes. All right. Yeah, yeah. So Ralph yeah, Barrick, who, who in his, developed... In his lab was right across the street from where I went to dental school. Oh boy. Okay. Oh, so boy. you really were like in the belly of the beast. The belly yeah. of the beast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Right. So um, what, what happened to you, you know, as, as a person, as you were peeling the layers off, off the onion, like what, was, what, what happened to your relationships, your sense of, yeah, <laughs> All painful. That. It's yeah. painful. So, you know, we're talking the end of 2020 when I woke up and then then you just can't get I mean, if I could show you the stack of books I've read and articles, I mean, just could not peel me away from reading to the point of, you know, neglecting my family on some level because I was so intent to learn. Yeah. And um, I became vocal. Uh, North Carolina, the state has a dental, a dental state dental society, which I'm part of and maintained for us as a forum for us to communicate with one another uh, that you can you know, respond to certain communications and people, anybody who's part of it can view and read or also add in, chime in. And mm -hmm. as the vaccines were being rolled out, there were dentists trying to cut in line. We were considered not to be top tier and they were trying to, you know, complain that we weren't top tier and how much we're at risk. And if we don't get vaccinated, we're all going to die. And I yeah. just I couldn't wow. keep my mouth shut much longer. So I started chiming in. Um, yeah. And, and then I just got annihilated by my peers. Yeah. So th um, this is online interaction with, with dentists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so you got annihilated. What was oh, yeah. their response? What, what were you I was, um, well, I was, I was one saying, Hey, we've practiced, you know, now 10 months, nobody's died in the dental field from it. I said, we can wait our turn. Let's let the most vulnerable have their hand first, you know? And then as I got bolder, I would, you know, ex express concern over the safety issues, the lack of long-term, you know, s s knowledge of side effects or harm. Um, does it actually prevent uh, you from, getting coronavirus or transmitting yeah. it, um, you know, and so then, I, I mean, that was just 
more than they could handle. So I got mm. called tinfoil hat wearing. I was okay. told I needed my credentials taken away. So at, I, hominem, at hominem attacks, yeah. but did anyone actually present information that rebutted you? No. Okay. So it was it was purely ad hominem attacks. You're a tinfoil oh, ad nutter. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're not fit to, to practice. But no one would actually engage with you in a discussion in which you both brought your evidence to the table. Yeah. So like the, the biggest, the prime example was uh, a time in the summer of 21 when the, it was before people were being forced to be vaccinated. Uh, a dentist in North Carolina was ready to fire a staff member for not getting the vaccine. And her position was that she had already just recovered from COVID. So she had natural immunity. Yep. And the dentist wanted to know the position of, you know, the dental society, mm. you know, the larger umbrella being the American Dental Association. What is the position as to whether or not I should fire the staff member? And I'm sure you've seen the study. It's an older one. It was small, but out of Kentucky that the CDC had done on some, I don't know, 260 subjects that said, oh, vaccinated immunity is superior to natural immunity. That yes, is what they did. Yes, 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 yes. And hybrid immunity, that's oh, yeah. that's his new invented term. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I I that was the that was the straw as far as being quiet much longer on mm. what I knew and what I had researched. And so I wrote back with um, research from nature, I don't know, cell BMJ. On there's, a, there's a stack of papers this high on just how protective natural immunity, natural immunity is. is. Yeah. And my post was never posted. Oh. So so, uh, so that, that means you your profile was already being watched. Censored. I presume. Yeah. yeah. And okay. so I emailed the moderator and I said, where's my post? And she's like, oh, well, that's misinformation. <laughs> so then so you um, so let's i mean let's just make it's really explicit for the audience right you submitted uh medical papers like you you refer to medical papers yes published in top tier journals i mean cell nature these are top tier journals and you were told that your post would not be published because it contained medical misinformation yep that's pretty rich okay yep so what? What is, and, and who who is the moderator, by the way? Like who who are these people? Have you have you ever been able to ascertain like who are they? What are their qualifications? Who pays them? Well, I mean, these moderators are employees of the North Carolina Dental Society, so they are you know they're in their early twenties, maybe thirties, right? Staff members who well, like, are like just, disinformation experts, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who have like a BA or in in, in journalism or something, yeah, okay. I get the picture. And I I was really disenchanted because at the top of our forum, it says open scientific forum. Yeah. So before anything you see, that's what it says at the top of the forum. And so yeah. I wrote back to the forum and in a separate post and just said, how can we be, how can we consider ourselves a scientific forum if we can't even, you know, discuss science? And, and they, they published that one? They did. And then people were like, whoa, what's being censored? And then the original post got posted. Oh. And that's when that's when the onslaught of attacks came. But it didn't stop me from posting. I continued to post yeah. then. You had you had a fire in your belly. What um, did. what where did the fire come from? Like because you it, it sounds like you would be a pretty peace, good girl. Peace and pursue yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, how can you 
how can you sit back and watch people be harmed? Well, yeah, how can you? I mean, I I'm, assuming, I'm assuming your colleagues, do, have you had any conversations with them, right? Because this is, this is a question that, that torments me. Um, how is it that people who, who enter the health field broadly, I'm talking doctors, nurses, dentists, you know, um, physiotherapists, whatever, that all these professions where the, where the, the, main, the main object of these professions is, is to help other people. It's to help them make their lives better. It, it's to help them get out of pain, you know, solve their illnesses, like whatever the heck, psychologists too, I forgot them. Um, so all of these people are witnessing harms and they're doing nothing to intervene. Do you have any sense of how it is that they, that they do that? Like, how is it that you and I can't sleep at night if we don't speak out? But they, they're okay with that. Well, I think there's two camps of people um, for to describe what you're asking about. And that is you have the camp that just will bow to authority because authority mm. has told them and they're not going to question. Do, and, you, do you think that they, do you think that because they have that mindset, and I, I agree with you, by the way, um, do you think that that causes them in a very literal way to see the world differently to you and I. And I'll, I'll, I'll give an example to illustrate. So I am seeing an increasing number of people in my practice who have been diagnosed with unbelievably aggressive cancers, um, horrifying case, the, the woman, I, I spoke to her just before Christmas, she rang me from the hospital where she was you know, in bed with God knows how many tubes stuck into her. Um, she was, uh, about to be transferred to, to palliative care, um, long story short, she was diagnosed with, with stage three breast cancer. She felt a lump. She goes to the, the doctor to get it checked out. Yes, you have breast cancer. And in the process of scanning her, they found that she actually had stage four lung cancer that had already spread to her brain, her liver, and her bones, right? And this is a woman who uh, was a Pilates instructor, you know, followed a, a healthy diet, she had formerly been a smoker, but she quit a long time ago, right? And um, I've never seen this before. I, and I, I can I can reel off half a dozen cases like this. Oh, I could These go. Are, I could. I had pages. I I was keeping notes um, on the cases that I was seeing because half my staff is awake. And when we were doing medical history updates, never in my twenty-two plus years of doing this have I seen such a decline in the health of patients from the aggressive cancers that you're talking about to what I've seen more of are cardiac issues. Um, and it's probably because I'm a dentist. So I'm not going to see the cancer patients or talk. They're not going to be in to see me, but yeah. you know, all AFib, AFib, it's like every other patient. And that's an, an exaggeration, but yeah, that's what it you're, you're like. seeing. You're seeing a sudden uptick. So, so, okay. Do, do other dentists do medical history updates? Like when they get well, a patient back in, Oh I, yes, I mean I don't know that all do, but we're supposed to. We're trained to do very. Okay, thorough so this is this is standard practice. If, if, if you're a dentist who's worth your salt, when when a patient comes in to see you, you do a quick, at least a quick check in. You know, yes, right. been diagnosed with anything since the last time I saw you or whatever. And obviously, you'd expect people to do it to be doing this with new patients. So, other dentists are seeing what you're seeing. 
but they're not seeing it the same way as you are. Yeah. What do, do you have any insight into? Like, are they are they just bought into this idea that it's all long COVID, or what are they thinking? <laughs> I, I think I I would have I speculate that it's because once you become awake to this, your your whole world changes. Mm. You know, your profession has lied to you. Mm. Your whole, everything you've studied to become has lied to you. And yeah. going back to those layers, as you peel back the layers of the lied to you on the vaccine, what else did they lie to you about? The origin of the, the origin of COVID? What else? Yeah. Every pharmaceutical drug that's been poorly tested? I mean, it, the list goes on and on. It's, pain, yeah. it's painful to become aware of how much you've been misled and mm. so your your world your world gets rocked and that's a hard yeah. thing I'm, I'm glad you raised that because i i personally think that 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 pain of um the word that popped into my head was discombobulation but it's it's so far beyond that it's it's a total disorientation isn't it it is and i i went through that um much earlier in in, in 2020 uh, sorry this this is this is not about me this is about you but i from the get-go i knew there was something really really sus about this but i had i had no idea how deep that rabbit hole <laughs> yeah. went right yeah um and as i started trying to figure out who is behind this why are they telling these lies why why has some um uh, well i know every every country at least no, every country that is a member of the WHO has essentially a pandemic preparedness plan. And I, I came across Australia's um, pandemic preparedness plan fairly early on in the piece. I can't remember exactly when. It was maybe a few months in. It was updated in August of 2019. And mm -hmm. it laid out the, you know, what Australia was supposed to do in the event of an influenza pandemic. Now, you know, yes, it was supposed to be a coronavirus pandemic, but what the hell? They're both up, they're both respiratory tract infections. Exactly. The mode of spread is the same. So, so the response, the response should have been the same. And the response was completely counter to that. And so I was, you know, I started asking these questions. Why? Who is behind this? Why are we seeing every other country whose pandemic preparedness plan read much the same as, as ours. And I know that because I read quite a few of them. And they said much the same as ours. And the WHOs said the same as ours. So who is behind this? And that that's what led me to to go, you know, really, really deep into it. And, and so I know this pain that you're talking about, this sense of, of utter betrayal that every institution that you just assumed was working more or less for the for the public good and uh, maybe there were a few corrupt people but but you know the institution the institution right. was solid and and the majority of people working in that institution had the public good in 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 mind and yes there was the occasional scandal but they got found out and the people you know who, who were responsible for that scandal got rooted out like, no that's not how it works at all at all at all yeah, so was your family going on this journey with you? What what was what were your kids saying? What was your husband saying? Well, I feel grateful that my husband and I were. He probably woke up a little bit before I did. I, okay. I, I don't know. It was it was. He might have been more. He's sitting here next to me. He might have been more skeptical. Um, but once I once I watched that video and then I started doing my research, it was, he, he and I were completely aligned as, as were my mother and father and as were my siblings. Um, which, oh, you are so very, very fortunate. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. I know. Oh, I know. I trust me. I count that as a blessing. And then, yeah. um, 
I had told my staff, I said, I didn't want, I didn't want them to take the vaccine. I said, this has not been tested well enough. I am very, very leery of you doing it and half did and half didn't. And those of us who didn't have just been in, you know, constantly in communication about, you know, them thanking me for not forcing them for sure. I mean, that as they learn or see family members who've been harmed are very, very grateful that it was never an issue of their employment to take the shot. And so, when, when you say your staff, do you work in a solo practice or a group practice? Yeah, I, I'm a solo. I'm the only okay. doctor and wow. I have nine, nine staff members. Okay. So you, you have never had, to, like, you've never had clashes with, with, you know, co-workers, your, your um, clashes with fellow dentists have been in, in this Correct. forum. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know whether you know this, but every, um, every health professional in, in Australia was, was mandated to, to have these, you know, I don't call them vaccines because they're not. So if you wanted to work as a dentist or a chiropractor or a nurse or a GP or psychologist or anything, you um, you had to have this toxic concoction. My husband and I had, um, I, I became concerned that it would be tied to my ability to renew my license to practice dentistry. Mm -hmm. And I had told him that I would quit. I would not be putting this in my body. And we would, if we had to sell everything and clean toilets, mm -hmm. I, I just... I felt so strongly after I had done my research that this is this was not for me. Or you, my you you mentioned you mentioned informed consent, which was yes. absolutely trampled all over. As so as a as a dentist, what was your training in terms of informed consent procedures with with patients? It was huge. It was a very a good bit of time was spent on this yep. informed consent, and then having patients sign um, you know sign a consent form to treatment. That was part of every single procedure we did. Hmm. Huge. And spell, spell out what uh, what informed consent means. Again, I, I, know, I know my audience knows this, but let's let's put this on the record. Um, so informed consent means you, you mentioned this briefly, but let, let's um, let, let's really dig into this. So informed consent means that you explain to the patient the procedure that you um, intend to do, and you explain um, the, the benefits and the risks yes. and options. Yep. That's the yep. other key, RBO, risks, benefits, and options. What, what yep. if I don't do this, yep. what are my other options? Yes. So what, what are the alternatives? If you, if, if, I, if you do not wish to have this procedure, you could do this or you could do this, and you could also do nothing, right? Correct. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what informed consent means. And then after you've explained the benefits, and you might, you might truly believe from the bottom of your heart that this procedure is absolutely the best thing that this patient could do and that they are seriously jeopardizing their well-being if they don't do it. But the decision is theirs. Absolutely. And that's the consent part. Absolutely. And, and so as a dentist, you were trained to give informed consent. Um, for, for those staff members of yours who did get a, a COVID injection, did they receive informed consent? No, because nobody could. There's no no informed consent, and it wasn't necessary. Was, was, was there even a pretense of it? I mean, do you have you spoken to them about what actually happened when they fronted up to any kind of vaccination centre or they went to a pharmacy or a doctor or whatever? Was there even a pretense of informed consent? Well, I don't know that I've asked them specifically, and if I have, I have forgotten their answer, but mm -hmm. I will say that based on what I know happened in this country, because of it being under EUA, informed consent is unnecessary. It is, mm -hmm. you know, that, that mm -hmm. wasn't offered to patients. Mm -hmm. So this fundamental um, tenet 
of medical ethics, dental ethics, yep. any health professional's ethics was was trampled all completely over. trampled. Yep. Yeah. 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 And and health professionals like you who were trained to give informed consent just waved that on through. Didn't have any objections to this because it was an emergency. That that's yeah. the part I can't wrap my head around. And 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 I'm sure you feel the same way as you asked about relationships and not necessarily relationships I, I specifically have with people. But to know people who are far smarter than I am, have many more degrees, who continue to fall for this lie, it just calls mm. into question, how? How can you not mm. be observant to what is actually happening? How can you still mm. be blind right now? Mm. Mm. Yes, especially in the context of the significant increases in excess deaths. Yes. I know you have them in, in the US. Uh, we, we've been running it at... Um, percentages of excess deaths that haven't been seen in this country since the Second World War. Um, this is happening all over the world. Yeah, we mentioned the cancers, the cardiovascular complications, uh, the neurological issues, the autoimmune issues. How how can they be seeing all of this and still, still buying the line anyway? That is a question that I suspect will haunt me to my grave <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how this happens. Um, so... Do you do do you have any contact with with other dentists? So in during the shenanigans that were occurring on the forum, I had several reach out to me personally to applaud my efforts um, and support my sharing the information. Mm. And so they, they would they would they would contact you privately. Oh yeah, not on the forum. Yes. Yes. Correct. Okay. This is the forum was a, the forum was an ugly place. It was yeah. a, it was just a very um, unprofessional. It's embarrassing to even know that that others in this you know in this profession would behave in such a ma in such a manner on a topic that was mm -hmm. evolving. And um, and of course, as as you know, doctors have report medical doctors have reported exactly the same thing. That oh, correct. Yes. Their supposedly professional colleagues behaved in the most unprofessional manner imaginable, and yeah, I I saw it absolutely everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So so this was happening online, but but in person, what several several reached out. I probably had I don't know maybe two dozen reach out to me personally and then a half dozen of us we formed a, a, a sort of a separate dental society called the socratic dental alliance where mm -hmm. we would meet weekly uh, we wrote a 40-page white paper to the american dental association on our concerns of how the dental profession handled covid from the lockdowns to the masking to the lack of um sharing what we could have done to mitigate better by, you know, advocating vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, mm. things that would have helped support patients' immune systems. Mm. And so we, we worked on that together. We've done um, a, a lecture and then we met up with a, a larger group called North Carolina Physicians for Freedom, mm -hmm. which is a medical, a, a large umbrella, if you will, because you have chiropractors yeah. to pharmacists to physicians, right. to dentists. Yeah. Um, so as it's a multidisciplinary professional group. Of Correct. Things. So we, we all, like all of our circles kind of started, started blending and mm -hmm. our efforts were then put to better use at, you know, with a larger group yeah. to work towards medical freedom in, in our state. 
Yeah. And so it's it's been revealed um, mostly through through FOIA requests, I believe, that a uh, that that very generous sums of money were paid to medical professional associations yes. to to basically speak the government line. Was the same true of the dental association at either federal well, or I, state level? I, I assume, and I tried to get to the bottom of that as we were doing our research for our paper, because not specifically as it related to COVID, but we were just so amazed that we were in lockstep with the narrative. And I say we, the American Dental Association, mm. and beyond the dues that we pay annually, we could not get to um, where the rest of the funding, what the source is for the rest of the funding that was not readily available in mm. the sources that we tried to, I'm sure if we pressed hard enough, we probably could. It just comes down to time. Um, mm. And we did not get that information, but I guarantee that the American Dental Association on some level received funding that would have us be in agreement mm. like we were. Yeah. What does that make you think? about you know the fact that these very large sums of money were, were doled out to everything from well definitely the ama the the individual colleges like uh, i know the the college of obstetricians and gynecologists got paid a lot of money james thought yeah. talked about this and and so we don't know let's let's make this clear we don't know whether the american dental association received a big Correct. lot of money from the government but it's fairly safe to assume so where does that where does that lead you in your thinking well, for the first time in 20, I'm on my 24th year of practice, I did not renew my membership mm -hmm. to the American Dental Association. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not a small fee to be a member annually. And I do not want to be part of an organization that um, is so easily bought. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to pay dues. I'm happy to pay dues to something, mm -hmm. but not when mm -hmm. the best interest of those we serve is not being recognized and, and yes i mean the best interest of those who said but they weren't even standing up for dentists or or anyone else involved in the dental profession if they were um if they were willing to jump on board with that ludicrous cdc non-study about the superiority of immunity to back the firing of dentists well, who didn't i well i don't know this but i would think in large part if if the majority of dentists thought like you and i did and we pushed back, but we are, we, I, I know I am a severe minority within my profession. Yeah. So do, but, do you have any sense of like, you know, 5%, 2%, 10%? What percentage of dentists do you estimate are, are actually? Sir, um, I, oh. Oh, my husband thinks 1%. I was going to say 5%. Because um, <laughs> I know we have organizations like the IAOMT, different sort of holistic dental yeah arenas that were wide awake uh, and mm. that's where i have felt um i have made some uh, you know alignments with yeah others. okay so there there, there are there are fellow travelers um yes i'll i'm glad you raised that i'll come back to that in a moment so so you you can actually practice without being a member of the american dental association yes yep mm -hmm. okay okay so um so we're now in late 2020 your eyes have been you know opened wide um, you're starting to to question everything. Um, let's talk about fluoride. So yeah. What what did you what, what did you what prompted you to look into fluoride? 
Where did you I, find? I, wish I, I wish I had saved the communication, but I would say it was sometime in 21 or 22. It would either be late 21 or early 22. There was some communication that I received from the American Dental Association. I believe it was by way of email. And it was alluding to the NTP meta-analysis, the, the, the National Toxicology Program. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of I what's happening. And this is okay. this is being brought to the fore by the Fluoride Action Network's case yes, against, correct. The, against the EPA, correct? Uh, is that right? I, I believe the EPA is part of it. And I'm sorry, is that my phone, is that bugging you? Can you hear all that? When I, can, I can hear it dinging, but it's, it's I fine. I just don't know how to turn it off. So um, <laughs> you can turn my phone off or I'll come to my computer. Um, so the communication was written in such a way that expressed concern for the information contained in this analysis to be widely distributed in might be concerning to the public okay and i was so then i my you know after the whole covid debacle i was like well what's in this meta-analysis what did they find because yeah so so in other words the you get a communication that says hey this thing's going to be out many people in the public will read it they might come into you as dentists with questions about fluoride and what was it like and here's here's the spin like here's what you're supposed to say to, to no, it, 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 I don't even remember. I don't remember going into that much detail. It just said because at this point it wasn't broadly available. I don't know if you're mm -hmm. familiar, but basically the ADA, the American Dental Association, received sort of a, an early viewing of the report oh. before the public, even before the nonprofits were allowed to see it. Is my understanding, oh. and I'm believing this communication was aired to us before the report mm. was more widely distributed as mm. saying that this, you know, what the findings of this report will, you know, give the public some concern as to the um, procedure of fluoridating water. And, and I think more broadly, I think more broadly than patients may question fluoride treatments, which... Gotcha. Okay. Which is know, obviously you know, such a central tenet of dentistry, isn't it? That, that we need yeah, to... Yeah, well, I think I said to you... Yeah. I think I said to you, I said, vaccines are to medicine as fluoride is to dentistry. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, it's, that comment, that comment just kind of really struck me as, as, as utterly, utterly true. It's, they are both, um, there is a, 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 an element almost of sacrament to those yes. two mm -hmm. yeah. practices, isn't there? Like they're yeah. rituals and the, the reputation of the medical profession rests very heavily on the notion that, that it was vaccines that eradicated the scourge of infectious disease yeah. that, that you know meant that parents didn't have to lose every second child to to infectious disease or whatever which of course is complete bunkum correct um, and and similarly the dental profession kind of rests on this notion that oh people have much better teeth these days you know, look at those old photos of people with missing and decayed teeth and black teeth and whatever the hell else and now we have fluoride and it's great and, and i'm your friendly dentist and and i'm going to you know advise you to use a fluoridated uh, a fluoride containing toothpaste i'm going to put this gel on your teeth yeah it's all wonderful so so you so you get this this communication you go hang on a minute what are they hiding from me now? Yes. <laughs> and what, what and what happened next? That's exactly right. And um, so then I started reading. And I believe about that time, Epic Times or Epoch Times, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that communication. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. They've done they, fabulous. They had a pretty um, 
I would say it was seven or eight part series on fluoride. Hmm. Um, and then I read in this book, in this book, I have literally studied the case against yes. fluoridation yes. Um, yes. by Paul Conant and his son, Michael Conant is, you know, working with the Florida Action Network now. Um, Del Bigtree had Michael Conant on, on the high wire. I don't know if you saw that. I and saw then, that episode. Read, Fabulous. Yeah. Yes. Christopher Bryson's book, um, the Decep the fluoride deception. deception. Uh, yep. Yeah. yep. 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 So yep. I just, I just started diving in, um, and I wanted to read in depth on it. And I, I would say the, the case against fluoridation is, I, it's, it's kind of like when you, I don't know if you've read turtles all the way down, um, about the written by the two Israeli physicians on, um, on vaccine. vaccination or vaccination in general. Yes. Yeah. It's very similar yeah. to reading that in that once you, once you read it, you can't unsee what you've read. You can't unknow it. And it's a challenge to, um, you know, obviously accept the fact that you, I, I just finished writing a newsletter um, to my patients and we'll send it out probably in my Substack on it that, um, you know, you, I just trusted, I just trusted what I learned in dental school, never questioned, you know, and then when you start doing your own research and you can think more broadly on it and, and be concerned that, wow, we continue to do this. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. And I, I, sent, I sent you an article yesterday um, that was published by an Australian kind of independent, independent media outlet about the renewed push to get more local councils in the state of Queensland, which is where I live, uh, to fluoridate their water supply. So, so Queensland has the lowest rate of, of uh, fluoridation of water supply in the, in the country. Um, I, I, I think you'd probably sort of characterize Queensland as being somewhat like the Texas or the, or these days, <laughs> okay. I guess the Florida of yeah. Australia. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and interestingly, there was, uh, I, I, I'm from Sydney originally, um, which, which is uh, in, in New South Wales. And we, we had already moved to Queensland a year before the scandemic. And then as a result of the scandemic, we, we thought, my God, we haven't gone far enough. So now we live in rural Queensland. And it's interesting because there was an influx of people from the southern states, from from New South Wales, and in particular from Victoria, and particular particular from Melbourne, um, during the entire scandemic, the local real estate agents could not believe what was happening. They would just have pe people from Melbourne phone up and say, "What properties have you got? I'll buy it." Right? <laughs> what are you asking? I'll offer ten grand more. So we've, we've, there's been a massive influx of, of, of people into the state, and. Um, and so that's shifted the demographic somewhat. But anyway, long story short, so I sent you this article on, on, on fluoridation in, in, in Queensland and it, it, was, uh, it was a decision that was handed over to local councils um, some years ago, I don't remember exactly when, and um, a, a very large percentage of, of, of councils, especially in the more kind of rural and regional areas, basically said, well, we're not going to do it anymore. So yeah. now there's renewed pressure on, on them, but basically to take this decision out, out, of, out of local government's hands and, and to, to put it in the, the hands of the state government, which really is not representative of the vast majority of people who live in this state. So, um, so the, the, the fluoride, uh, controversy, which I've actually covered in my substack to a small degree, is essentially that, um, consuming fluoridated water has been shown to lower IQ in, in children and, uh, it's, it's only a couple of points, but population-wide, this makes a heck of a difference to the, uh, uh, to the capacities 
of um, of the population that has consumed fluoridated water, well, I was going to say since birth, but actually it's pre-birth as well because if the mother's right. consuming fluoridated water, that's it right. goes into the fetus. So, so there's, there's that side of it. And, and this case that's been ongoing um, in the US uh, has revealed that the EPA, actually, do you want to take over? Because this is, this is more your subject matter than mine. So do you want to just describe briefly what that case is about, what, what the evidence presented um, has been and what the EPA has, has been up to in terms of burying the results of, of, of yeah, their own and I, findings. I don't think it's just the EPA. I think the NIH as a broad, a broad umbrella of the NIES and then this National Toxicology Program, the NTP, are all involved on some level. My understanding is that, um, and I don't know if it's the same in your country, but we fluoridate, this is, this is the most disturbing part to me, is what we actually fluoridate with. And that mm -hmm. is the toxic waste from mm -hmm. the mining of phosphorus rock for the fertilizer industry, yep. hexafluorosilic yep. acid. And once that hexafluorosilic acid in this country, it, it's sold, you know, this toxic waste cannot be dumped into the ocean as far as international law or international agreements. And um, it cannot be dumped into waterways in the U.S., um, the industry would have to pay large sums of money to dispose of it properly. But mm -hmm. if the government purchases it to put it into the water system in this country, the EPA essentially gets to wash its hands of what is in this toxic soup before it goes into our water. Mm -hmm. And as far as the EPA's specific involvement with this information coming out, I don't know, I don't know which, of the alphabet agencies is truly holding up. That part I haven't been able to ascertain from what I've read through, mostly through the Fluoride Action Network. Mm. Um, and I follow that information coming out, you know, as far as this lawsuit, because it's been in courts now for a couple of years. Mm. Where the mm. the um, government is dragging its feet, you know, bringing the final report, making that final report available. Yep. But basically a summary is, is that, you know, there's not, there are, there aren't there are some 50 plus studies that point to the correlation of a decreased IQ with fluoride consumption varying degrees of fluoride consumption mm. and and it's you know, a, it's a dose response relationship right correct. it's like the higher the the exposure to fluoride the uh, the, the dose more makes substantial. The yep yes. yep yep and you know as going back to informed consent well here we are we're basically forcing a medical treatment on every living being that drinks um, municipal water if you're not on a well mm. without the choice to make the decision to decline. Mm. And for what we can tell right now, it's neurotoxicity seems to be most dangerous for the youngest amongst us from fetus to, I'm going to say to about five years of age, the developing mm. brain. Mm. And we had somebody, um, my dental group, we had somebody from the Fluoride Action Network join us for one of our um, meetings that we had to discuss this. And, and this is pure speculation on my part, but I, you know, because it's neurotoxic, I wonder if fluoridated water has any um, bearing on this increase in autism that we see in our country that mm. in combination with the potential link to vaccines, you know, is there... The, the the absolute load to the child of toxins that the body can just not take that last straw if you will that yeah. sets the brain off into um, yes yes and yeah in other words um autism is very complex i have no doubt that it's multifactorial and 
yeah, uh, fluoride is one of those, or could be, is likely to be one of those contributory factors. Um, it's a very potent neurotoxin. Um, does, so does fluoride have any physiological role within the human body? Well, that, that's the part that I think is, you know, as this, what I wrote today, I closed with, you know, what we don't know. Hmm. Uh, there are, there are many systems within the body. It, it would, it's naive of us to think that somehow fluoride benefits the teeth yet has no impact on the rest of the body. It hmm. just goes in and just goes right to the teeth and hmm. doesn't affect other. Because other when does that happen with any other, any other substance? Yeah. Right. And you know, the thyroid has been implicated, the pineal gland, um, reproductive organs, um, the kidneys, the bones, the joints, all these things. There are studies out there, albeit small, and not an, a number of them in animals, but there aren't resources to do large studies on something that there's no financial gain for anybody mm. who were to, you know, try to do, say, a 20-year study on somebody who doesn't fluoridate versus somebody who does drink fluoridate. It, it, is, it is entirely possible to do that. I mean, Australia has a much more centralised healthcare system than the US. I mean, basically, when you're born in Australia, you are enrolled into, into Medicare, which is our you know single-payer health insurance scheme. Um, and because we, we do have, particularly in Queensland, these communities where, where there's no fluoridation in the water supply, it would actually be a very, very easy thing to do, to uh, do like large population-based studies to see, okay, what is the rate of this disorder and that disorder and, and the other disorder in these fluoridated communities versus versus the, these um, communities over here who, who don't have fluoride. In the same way, um, it would be a very, very easy thing to do to compare the medical records of people who are being vaccinated because the, the Australian Childhood Immunisation Record similarly is, is linked to Medicare records in this country. But our uh, government uh, officials and uh, health department officials just flat out refuse to do that study. They won't do it's it. a very yeah. easy study for them to do and, and they right. won't do it. And the fact that they will not do it, the fact that we do not have these data when the circumstances exist to, to gather them and to analyse it speaks volumes. Uh, like, absolutely. They don't want to know or they already know and they, they, they don't want the, the public to get actual proof. Now, um, so, so it, it's really beyond doubt at this point that fluoride is a neurotoxin does it strengthen teeth does fluoride uh either applied top topically or or consumed you know in in fluoridated water does it actually reduce the risk of tooth decay what what I had read in this case against fluoride is that when they were doing these studies um the information is a little murky and mm. and i would say and, and they were unblinded and so the mm. researchers would be somewhat um i think the words just slipped my mind but are going to be favoring you know those who've been exposed to fluoride and and there's mm. a, a gray area in diagnosing decay um mm. Not all dentists agree. You can give, uh, you know, you can put a set of x-rays in front of 10 different dentists. And, and I joke with patients, you're going to get nine different treatment plans. Mm -hmm. So yep. I, yep. I struggle to truly comprehend and appreciate the potential benefit that fluoride might have. Um, one 
one paper that I had read this year um, had talked or last year had talked about how, yes, fluoride does strengthen the enamel, but only in the first 0.6 millimeters of the enamel surface. So you get this mm -hmm. really tough, hard shell. But mm -hmm. if a cavity has started beyond that 0.6 millimeters into the next layer into the dentin, then it just goes like wildfire. And when I read mm -hmm. that, I was like, wow, that that really explains some of these cavities that I open up where radiographically they didn't look like much. And yep. then I get in there and it's just, it's, it's a, um, a shock, you know, you're this, unprepared. This, um, this seems very analogous to me to the situation with, with, with bones, because as I'm sure you're aware, uh, fluoride was used for a while. It was certainly experimented with to, um, try to reduce bone fractures. And it yes. turns out that fluoride does indeed harden bones, but it, it, uh, it actually makes them more brittle and brittle, more prone to right. breaking. And, right. I mean, bones and teeth are not exactly the same, but they have a lot of similarities. And so right. that would make sense to me. You're, you're making teeth um, um, hard but brittle. Or, Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's how you yeah. see it too. Yeah. All right. So um, when when people go to the dentist and they attend for their, you know, once a year or twice a year checkup, and actually I want to ask you whether you think that that's necessary or a good idea or, or what the world. So again, we'll bookmark that and come back to that in a moment. When people go to the dentist for their, their checkup, their general clean and whatever the heck, um, what, what do you suggest they say to the dentist? Because, and, and this, this was one of the questions that was submitted and I relate to this, you know, go along for the, for the checkup and the dentist is like having a poke around and cleaning this. And, and, and then they turn around and they come back and they're like painting your teeth with this fluoride. So I'm like, Whoa, hang on. What are we doing here? You didn't explain this. I didn't ask for this. I want you to stop. You know, don't put this fluoride stuff in my mouth. So what what should what should people do when they're going to the dentist? Well, you should be asked. Nobody should ever put that in your mouth yeah. if you've not been asked first. You should be able to give informed. You know, I, I, you I can't. Look. I can't recall ever being asked by a dentist. Oh well, we always we've always asked, and I have yeah, never. That's, that's interesting. It's yeah. been beaten into us in dental school that when patients deny treatment, certain treatments that you, you're supposed to put the fear of God into them and have them sign a form that, you know, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, informed consent under duress. Yeah. And you won't be held liable for their teeth rotting or whatever. And mm. I, I have just mm. never felt comfortable with pressuring somebody into something that they didn't want. So yeah. my position before awakening to all of this was always, just to respect the patient's desire or lack of desire for, and I'll even say x-rays too. I would include x-rays in the same mm, thing. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. That has just been how I practice, but I would say in practices that are less um, individualized like mine is, cause it's my practice where you have a group practice or what's um, become rampant in our country is the corporate practices mm -hmm. where the dentist is just an employee of the company and you have to do certain things because that's what you're being told to maintain your job. You're going to have a very different experience. Yeah. So for patients like your readers um, had asked questions, I would say my advice would be, and I don't know if it's available in your country, but would be to seek a solo practitioner or a practitioner mm -hmm. who's in with It definitely, definitely is available. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and hightail it out of there if a dentist does not um, honor your wishes. That is yep. not a relationship that you're ever going to feel comfortable with. And mm. that is something I sort of mm. beat into my patients is this is a relationship and this relationship is based on trust. Yep. And if you don't trust me, then trust we're not. Respect. 
Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So, so when when a person goes to book their appointment, they should probably say at the time of booking, "I don't want fluoride treatment. Thank you very much." And then repeat that to the dentist when when they first get in the room. You know, well, good morning. I don't want fluoride. Yeah. 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 Well, in, in our practice, the, the hygienist asks the questions at the beginning yeah. of the appointment, and that they decline. There's no further discussion. So yep. Yes. Okay. It's entirely. And I'm and I'm, yeah. and I'm and I'm not at a point yet. You know, I'm slowly evolving into the space. I have not taken it out of the practice yet. Mm. Um, I still respect a patient's desire if they feel it's benefiting them because of the topical application may, I, I don't know what we have versus sort of the hydroxyapatite, but that's not widely available for us to do a localized treatment for a patient that has a high caries mm. risk. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. I don't know, I need to do more research. I need to find out mm -hmm. what I'm comfortable recommending and that what I feel will actually have a benefit for the patient. Yeah, and the hydroxyapatite is is a uh, a form of calcium phosphate, which is actually the building material of the teeth. But oh, it's the teeth basically, itself, right. yeah, it's basically the form in which calcium phosphate occurs in in the teeth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so there are um, there are toothpaste containing hydroxyapatite. That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah, Using yeah. that okay. as a remineralizing agent. Yep. Yeah, and, and um, it should also be be pointed out that the the teeth are uh, there, there is a there is a, an inherent remineralizing process correct correct from your saliva yep. I mean your yep. saliva is constantly at work yep. doing that yep okay so um, this I, I just I realize I've been talking to you for over an hour and I have I know it's been wonderful surface, but, um, okay and I've so I've so enjoyed getting to know you and um, um, I. I know that you're very passionate about this topic of, of airways and I, I, I believe that the issue of remineralizing is somewhat connected to the airways issue, correct? Absolutely. Yep. Well, so, well, how about we do it this way? Because um, I want to get you back on if, if you're willing. So, I would love um, could you just very briefly summarize this issue of, of airways? how it relates to, to standard dental practices um, and to dental health more widely. And then when I get you back on, I'll, I'll, I'll let you off the leash and you can go full tilt into, into airways. How's that sound? Okay. Well, so the first, I guess the first topic that I would think of when discussing the airway would be sleep disordered breathing. Yep. And which you may more commonly know as obstructive sleep apnea. And yep. you have, how you common have is that in, in, in America? Ooh, I'm going to say, um, I, I think I've read somewhere around 30% of the population may Ooh. suffer on some level. Okay. Yep. Absolutely even higher. Okay. You know, it has to do with the ever growing weight that I'm sure you have the same thing in your country as we do 100%. here. 100%. Yep. Um, and, and, behind you. Yeah. And, and, and not learning how to breathe properly. Um, the book I'm reading right now, and this is, I don't, this is awesome. It's called the oxygen advantage. You know, it's all about breathing properly and how mm -hmm. to breathe and, it's just amazing what we just take for granted. You know, we might talk about what we eat and what we drink and how much we exercise, but what's the basis of life? And that's oxygen. But going back to the airway, sleep disordered breathing and obstructive sleep apnea is going to have a twofold impact on the oral cavity. And that is one, you have your mouth open. When your mouth is open, you're drying out. And that dryness, you don't have your saliva working. But in an, yep. in an obstructive event, if you've ever watched video of a patient having an obstructive event, you'll see the whole entire chest just heave and the stomach contents as they're heaved are kind of pushed back up into the oral cavity and so one of the things that we'll see is an acid demineralization 
-hmm. on the lingual or the tongue side of predominantly the maxillary teeth mm -hmm. as far as um, having impact on breaking down tooth structure from yeah, the so this is this is upper jaw their own acid is is, is coming back up in the midst Correct. of these apneic yeah. episode, episodes and then yeah so so it, it, it's a it's a two-pronged attack on the teeth it's mm -hmm. the mineral being uh, the, the teeth being broken down by the acid and then the remineralization that should be taking place during sleep is is not happening because their mouth is open correct that's right yeah. that's right okay yeah. And, yeah. you know, and then if, as you've studied airway, you know, I mean, it just becomes a snowball effect or a chicken and the egg, which comes first with the weight. And then mm -hmm. when you're not sleeping well, then your diet changes and your body mm -hmm. doesn't know when to be full. And then you're eating more mm -hmm. carbs and more sugar, which is bad. And it's just, it's, it's a never ending cycle. Yeah. But it's actually an, an amazingly profitable cycle, isn't it? For certain professions and, and for certain effective sleep apnea or just the weight in general the whole cycle that you the whole thing and yeah. and this is where you know passion i know we need to wrap it up but this is where i have you know i i can test patients in my practice for obstructive sleep apnea i as a dentist i'm not legally able to diagnose anybody but i work yep. with a sleep physician but what i see in this country and i'm sure is in, in your country as you said profitable and i just want you know to touch on this is that it's we immediately press patients into CPAPs, the yep. um, yep. air pressure machines to yep. sleep with. There's a ton mm. of money to be made mm. off of those. Mm. But there's so much we can do for patients. There's so much through proper education. Mm. And that's where my focus is. And I'm like, I'm going to take you from the bottom and then we'll work out. Let's try some mm. conservative cheap measures from taping your mouth shut to mm -hmm. wearing mm -hmm. something that keeps you from being on your back. Because predominantly it's yep. a postural. So if you yep. can sleep on your side, you'll see um, less uh, sleep apnea. And there's so many things to help patients. And my frustration has been that people will deny being tested and, and deny any treatment because they think they're immediately going into a CPAP. And what we need to do is bring awareness that there are a lot of ways we can help you mm. short of you having to be tethered to a machine like Darth Vader or whoever he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, I am your father. <laughs> yeah, but by the way, what, what do CPAP machines do to, to people's dental health? Well, what I see, um, so you, you, you first, you kind of recognize it right away because they have their, like, strap marks are still on their cheeks, mm -hmm. you know, eight hours later from <sighs> being tied in. Um, yeah. But if, you know, some of these machines, if they're just wearing a nasal cannula, they um they can still have their mouth open you know mm, so i still mm -hmm. see the dryness um yep. from their seat from their cpap machine i even think the the full face masks i i i usually can tell who has a cpap I'm, i i will ask i'll inquire mm. based on some dryness in their oral cavity and mm, how their teeth mm, look gotcha okay all right I need to have you back on. <laughs> so thank you so much for, for your willingness to, to share your own journey. Um, let, uh, so I, I, I want to wrap up with, um, with two questions, really. What would you say, you know, if you had the attention of your, your fellow dentists who are still going along with um, the mainstream line about COVID, what would you say to them if you could have their undivided attention? I have a lot of thoughts. Um, I don't know things that I should say out loud. Um, <laughs> it's a family uh, show. <laughs> yeah, professionally would be to look at 
I, you know, okay, so um, I'm sure you've heard of Edward Dowd. Yes. And his book, Died Suddenly, I think it's called. Yeah. Something, yeah. something like that. Um, is it? That sounds about right. Something like that. Yeah. I forget what it's mm -hmm. called, but it's a picture book almost with QR codes where you can see. And and I think I would even approach it from a, a from a non-science standpoint. Well, I don't want to talk about, you know, actually, you know what? No, no, no. Sometimes... I actually talked to my husband about this recently because mm. they want to say it's long COVID, right? They want to say it's long COVID. We want to mm. say it's the vaccine. Mm. How about we meet in the middle? It's the damn spike protein. Where mm. the hell did the damn spike protein come from? Why mm. are we not talking about that? Mm. Why are we not talking about the fact that this is not from zoonotic origin, mm. that there are so many factors in the sequence that they knew that somebody had their hands on it. Mm. Um, I'd have to think of a much more delicate way of bringing that about than how I just presented it to you. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's really where my anger lies now is that I feel like I feel like they're pitting us, the two sides, the, 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 the pro-vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers against each other, when really we all could just meet in the middle and talk about where the heck did this come from? Yep. And, 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 why, and why is it that the people who are involved in, in, in brewing this stuff up were also the people who were running the response to it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and why? And why? Why is why is the Eco Health Alliance still getting money from U.S. taxpayers to do Correct. this crazy research? Yeah. Oh, so a many good questions. Book, a good book would be The Truth About Wuhan yeah. by Dr. Andrew Huff. I don't know if you've seen it, but I just finished it, and that is he worked for Eco Health Alliance mm. um, up to about 2016, and mm. the hell that he has lived through in basically laying out what he learned as he when he was employed there so anyway that's an yeah. aside yeah it's uh it's 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 crazy and um my final question so prepare your tinfoil hat um given given the the, the topics that, we're, that we've touched on today who do you think is behind all this and what do you think their objectives are Ooh. um well, unfortunately, power and money is what rules the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I think there are multiple hands in this pot. And every day there's more. I mean, even with this whole Epstein mm -hmm. nonsense coming out in our country, the the people that have a, a role there, and I don't know if you read about his scientific forum that he had on his island and Stephen Hawking's was there and what was going on so I, I don't I don't the, think I could. yeah I so, sorry to interrupt I would say the um the focus on the sex trafficking um which is vile and disgusting um but it is a distraction from what Epstein was was truly up to yeah and, the, and so that that is what I had read yesterday um, about the science, the scientists that were, I mean, world renowned scientists that were there. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. I don't feel like I can answer the question well, because every day I feel like I learn a new, mm -hmm. something new that just makes the puzzles getting more put together, but the pieces that I need aren't all there mm -hmm. to really, mm -hmm. really understand yep. the players. Yep. But I do know that our government, my, ours, the US government, I can't speak to Australian government, had a huge role in this. A huge role mm. and right here in my backyard yeah yep um i don't know what the direct involvement of the australian government no, no actually i kind of do so um if you look at uh, videos of event 201 um yep. you'll you'll see jane halton um 
woman with a sort of very severe sort of blonde hairdo um, sitting, I can't remember who she was sitting next to, she played a very prominent role in, in Event 201. Um, so Jane Halton has occupied a number of prominent positions in, in Australia. Uh, she was appointed to the Prime Minister's Commission for like basically running Australia's response to, um, to the pandemic. And her husband has a senior position at the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Um, his brother was the health, um, the chief medical officer in, in Victoria. So yeah, there's a, there's a viper's nest. And there are certain there are certain players, there are certain names that just keep popping up over and over and over again. Yeah. Like out of eight billion people on this planet, why do I keep seeing the same small handful of names? Correct. That's absolutely correct. Gates, <laughs> Christian Anderson. I mean, we could go on. I'm sure we could list. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I would love to go on. So um, we we will chat. Work. Yeah, I'm going to get to work. We, we will chat offline about when, when, when we can talk again. Um, once again, I, I want to thank you for being so incredibly generous with, with your time. I know it's kind of getting late for you and <laughs> you probably have other things to do. But um, and, and, and sorry, for all of my listeners who submitted questions, uh, Jessica has read them. Um, I, I wanted I wanted to delve into her, her history today. We will get to as many of your questions as, as we possibly can. So stay tuned for part two. Okay, two quick things. Yep. Thank you for this opportunity. You are a hero in my in my eyes. I talk Thank about you. you almost daily to my patients and have shared some of your writings too. It's actually really embarrassing, but but I'm I'm, I'm pleased. It's, how, how did it's you? Not, how did it's you not. Across, it's so important. To, what's that? How did you come across my my? I, I guess it was my Substack. Um, yeah, you know, I, have, I don't I know. ask you this. I thought that to, I was thinking that today so we could discuss it. And I have no earthly idea how I came mm. across it. I don't even know when I started following Someone you. Someone or other shared a, shared a post. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I've discovered but a lot of people. Then I was going to ask yeah. you if it would be okay. Um, the the people that ask questions that I, I might just go in and just respond to their questions on your Oh, subject. please do. Just, please You know, do. if I have time yeah. to give them yeah. an individual response. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll do that with some that are, are easy to answer questions. So. Great. And then what, what we can do is kind of round up questions that are along similar lines and any of those that that you feel you know could could do with a thorough treatment we'll we'll, we'll talk about those subsequently i would like well, to I'll talk be... about stimulants next time oh that came up didn't it yes yeah. yes 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 okay so there's there's so much yet to discuss um thank you from the bottom of my heart it, it's been such a pleasure getting to to know you on a more personal level rather than just like going back and forth in the comment section and uh we'll, we'll chat offline about when we can talk again great Thank you, Robin. Have okay. a good day. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Jessica.